What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko, along with my new co-host, James Rapine. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Jake underscore NFL at James Rapine. James also over at SI.com. You can check out everything through those Twitter pages. And today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar, James's favorite protein bar. You can say that again, Jake. I love Built Bars. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON. You can get $10 off your first order. They sent us a sample pack. James has been eating these for a while, but I've been working my way through. Pretty exciting stuff. Today, we have Bengals stuff to talk about, James. We're going to preview the cap situation for the rest of this offseason and look forward to 2021 and look at some of the free agents they have coming up. They've got to get some extensions done because they might get into an actual tight cap situation for once starting next year. Then we'll take a look at the news that there's no international game scheduled. The schedule is expected to be released this week, however. And then segment two of the show, we'll get to Paul Daner's piece that breaks down from a scout's perspective how the Bengals offseason came together. And in part three, we will be joined by... Louie from the Locked On Eagles podcast as we continue our cross-conference crossover episodes for the Bengals NFC East opponents next year. That's our show for you today. We will start with the salary cap and with the NFL's news that they will not play any international games this year. James, before we get into the salary cap stuff, Let's talk about the schedule. The NFL says they're going to be releasing a schedule this week. None of us really know what to expect in that regard, but they have told us in a statement today that there will be no international games played in the 2020 season, and the NFL is giving no indication that they're planning to delay the start of the season, that they're planning any alterations to the schedule, at least not yet. Yeah, it's interesting. The the NFL, what they've done this offseason so far is they've adjusted what they've they've done or how they've gone about their schedule, right? The first ever virtual NFL draft. Uh, player meetings with teams, the off-season programs, they've begun. They're underway for all 32 teams, but it's virtual. And, and so, Jake, it, it's really going to be interesting to see how the NFL, when these schedules come out, how the schedules look. If there are division opponents, we talked about it yesterday, if there are going to be division opponents in the first month of the year, or if they push those back just in case there's a delay, because they, they have to think about all of those things. So I'm sure they have a bunch of different plans in place if the COVID-19 outbreak continues. But I think deep down they're hoping that they don't have to adjust anything, that they can start training camp on time, and that hopefully, even if they have to modify things a little bit, no fans or fans, that they can start the, the NFL season on time in the first week of September. And the Bengals are in the first week of three weeks of virtual off-season programming with their players. After those three weeks conclude, we're expected to get another update from the NFL as to what the plan will be going forward, whether they are going to be reopening any facilities. We have heard that they do not plan to let any teams get together in person until all teams can do so. So, for example, in Ohio, where they might be talking about opening things back up because of COVID, that doesn't mean the Bengals can get back together, at least with the team. The players could organize their own thing, and that's something that TJ Hushmanzada said they've been talking about doing, that Chad Johnson has invited the receivers and Joe Burrow to go work out with him. 
So that is an opportunity for the Bengals players to get into it. In Georgia, of course, where things are opened up already in a lot of ways, the Falcons can't get together right now. The NFL, I think, will take a pretty hard line on this as a fairness issue. I am reading on foxbusiness.com a report that says the NFL is expected to release that schedule on Thursday night. So at the end of the week, we should get that 2020 schedule in full and we'll get some of these questions answered we'll be able to dive into the intricacies of the schedule at that point we'll find out if the Bengals beat the over under two and a half primetime games James what do you say oh I I would say under if you're looking at primetime I I would say two I think Joe Burrow's interesting but that's really the only thing from a national perspective that people outside of Cincinnati or outside of Bengals fans is focused on when it comes to the Bengals. But I, I think he's good enough to get two primetime games. What about you? What do you think? I think two is a number. I think that it's impossible to actually set an over-under because two is that likely in my mind. Vegas would lose money if they offered this bet. <laughs> Joe Burrow gets you one more than the guaranteed Thursday night game, although the Bengals didn't have a Thursday night game last year. So that's what we've got for you in terms of schedule updates. We'll have more for you later this week. Let's shift gears and talk about the Bengals cap situation. They've got one of the bigger rookie pools with the first overall pick, $11.8 million in the rookie pool. But because of the way the salary cap works with the top 51 rule, the new rookie contracts end up pushing. I think it'll end up being four contracts out of the top 51 for the Bengals. And that cap hit in year one, not $11.8 million, but closer to $7.5 million, should leave the Bengals with about $16.5 million in space for this offseason. If this was the Bengals of years past, we would expect that to almost entirely be rolled over. But this year, I think there are some extensions that we should be seeing before the regular season begins. Yeah, I think they're focused on two primarily. A.J. Green and getting a deal done with him before July 15th deadline after they exercise the franchise tag on him. And then Joe Mixon, he's in a contract year. They obviously felt really good about Joe when they drafted him a couple of years ago from a football standpoint, and he's delivered. So you'd think that they'll try to get something done, but it's not just those two guys, William Jackson, the third in the final year of his deal. Is that a guy they look at potentially extending Carl Lawson in the final year of his deal? So if AJ green or Joe Mixon doesn't take the the long-term money, Maybe they go elsewhere. They have plenty of free agents set to hit the market next offseason. Yeah, one guy we haven't mentioned that I think is really going to be worth keeping an eye on is Carl Lawson. He has, of course, dealt with injury, but he was supposed to be a pass rusher of the future on this team. And if he's not, then there's a real need at that position going forward because Carlos Dunlap, as good as he is, and Sam Hubbard, as good as fans seem to think he is, those guys are the only other edge guys on the roster right now. Khaled Kareem, of course, they draft in the fifth round this year. You can't really expect him to be a premier edge rusher. And if you do, you're going to be disappointed. But Carl Lawson is the guy they have that could be that role for them, especially if he is only on the field, if he's protected, if he's only out there in pass rushing situations. That will be a very interesting one. I don't think the Bengals are going to be comfortable extending him now. But if they let him hit free agency, they might lose him. You're right. I mean, he's what we talk so much about John Ross, right? And, and if he stays healthy, the impact he could have. But Carl Lawson is really the uh, pass rusher version of that, but he's more proven because what we saw in his rookie year, I believe he had eight and a half sacks, looked extremely promising. Unfortunately, much like Ross, Lawson has dealt with injuries throughout his football career. He dealt with them at Auburn. That's why he 
fell to the fourth round in the draft. And while he was such a great value from a talent perspective, he struggled. So unless he's willing to take a, an extremely team-friendly deal, I, I think that the, the Bengals are in a position to let it play out. And that's kind of where they are with a lot of these free agents, right? I mean, A.J. Green, what's the concern? It's not talent. And I know he's more proven than anyone else on the roster uh, outside of maybe Geno Atkins, right? But it's injuries. Same thing with Ross. Same thing with Carl Lawson. Even a guy like William Jackson the third, they've dealt with injuries, even though they flashed their potential. And uh, Jackson's plays dropped off a little bit as well. But uh, I'm with you on Lawson. He's a guy from a talent perspective you love to keep, right? And you love to extend long-term, not only because it fills a need, but because he's a hell of a player. Unfortunately, injuries have slowed him down over the past couple of years, and that could be a determining factor on whether or not he sticks around in Cincinnati beyond, beyond this season. And I think that another part of it is that it will take two to tango. The Bengals might be trying to get this done. They might have some offer out there for Lawson, a mid-range second contract for an edge rusher, and Lawson might be sitting there thinking, I can do better. I can, mm-hmm. if I stay healthy this year and I, I get snaps and I get after the passer, I'm going to rack up numbers and I'm going to go get paid in free agency. So it might be that Carl Lawson wants to bet on himself. We have certainly seen that before. We see that with Mackenzie Alexander, the other guy besides Kevin Huber. And I know that Cincinnati fans love Kevin Huber and people call him the most underrated player on the team. I, I think that it's an argument for me. I think he's you know, maybe a slightly above average punter in the league. But Mackenzie Alexander took a one-year prove-it deal in Cincinnati. That's another guy. He's a free agent next year. We'll see if the Bengals are interested in bringing him back. I do want to talk about how the Bengals acquired Alexander. And Paul Daner did a really good job on this in his athletic piece. We'll do that coming up next. Before we talk about that brilliant Paul Daner piece, today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar, James Rapine's favorite protein bar. I today tried, I got the wrapper on my desk here, Toffee Almond. I like this one. I, I liked it more than the fruity flavors, and I think that's just my my preference. I like chocolate without fruit, unless it's chocolate-covered strawberries. James, why are these things so good? I, I love them. And, and honestly, I'm not sure. I'm a big protein guy. I like working out. I like trying to stay in shape, especially right now with all the gyms closed. And, and they're they're perfect for a, a low macros uh, or a, a bar that's going to fit your macros, rather. 20 grams of protein, uh, 170 calories or less in most of them. It varies a little bit. But uh, the mint brownie one, that's one of my go-tos for sure. And uh, it, it's just – it's a perfect snack uh, in between meals, especially while you're at home in quarantine, instead of snacking on chips, have a built bar and uh, feed those muscles and get in shape during quarantine. And then do some push ups. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on. You'll get $10 off your first order. That's promo code locked on for $10 off at builtbar.com. Welcome back into the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm James Rapine. He's Jake Lisko. And we got to dive into this Paul Daner Jr. piece, Jake, because I, I think Bengals fans all over were shocked by their activity in free agency and how aggressive they were at addressing really their defense, but overall areas of need, committing over $150 million to eight free agents. And so let's let's dive into it. What, what was your biggest takeaway from Paul Daner Jr.'s uh, awesome piece in, in The Athletic today? He's going to join us on, on Thursday, by the way. But what was your biggest takeaway uh, from this piece and what Paul had to say about Bengals free agency. What I told Paul when he messaged me, because I, I tagged him and I said, this is really good. You should go read it. Paul, this would be a good thing for you to come on the podcast and talk about it. I told him in our DM conversation, we were scheduling it. 
the the first thing I want to talk to you about, and there's going to be more things because I was really tired this morning for some reason when we were scheduling it. And <laughs> I tell him, you said they got three out of four. They said they got three out of four of the guys they targeted going into free agency. DJ Reader, obviously one of them. I think Trey Wayne's one of the guys they targeted. And we can talk about the merits of going hard after a guy like Trey Waynes with the kind of money they threw at him. But who's the fourth guy that they didn't get? Who who, who would you speculate it is? Because I, I have a suspicion that it was the linebacker that Oakland signed that the Bengals did not from the Bears, whose name is Nick Kwiatkowski. Yeah, it, it, that, it could certainly be. And that, that's a guy you guys talked about right here on the pod. And uh, I think that that's, uh, that's certainly possible. Uh, another one. And, and maybe not, and I know they were in negotiations with them, but wouldn't Joe Schobert potentially be that guy? Wouldn't that be. be, yeah, wouldn't that be the guy? And, and they just got priced out of it as it details in there because of the draft and the, the depth that they felt at linebacker that they don't want to spend that much or overspend on a player that they could find in the draft. So, but hell, three out of a four, three out of four, that's, that's pretty good when you're talking about Bengals free agent signings. Uh, over the first couple of weeks of free agency, usually it's one out of four and it's a month into free agency. So I think uh, Bengals fans have a right to be excited. And, and this is a, a welcome change, I think, because and, it, it was it, it was a, a detailed plan and it's something they carried out. Right. I remember for years writing offseason plans or on this podcast talking about an offseason plan. And you wondered if the Bengals had the same plan or same vision and the aggressiveness and willingness to go do it. Well, they did it this past offseason. Yeah. And Steve Radicevich, I don't know how to actually pronounce his name, one of the Bengals <laughs> scouts, he, he said to Paul Daner, you bring in Reader, you bring in Trey Wayne's guys like Mackenzie Alexander so they can look around at the same time, see that we're not just signing two weeks after free agency, guys. We're signing guys we wanted to lock in right away. I thought it would hurt us, the fact that we weren't able to bring those guys in, but coaches did a great job of staying on them and kind of recruiting the players up. He also admitted that having that first overall pick and the guy the Bengals were going to pick, he thinks, was a selling point for these free agents coming in. So all this stuff we talked about going into this offseason, that if not now, when? If not when you're drafting number one and getting a guy like Joe Burrow, when would you spend in free agency? Well, they did. And to your point, James, they were even in on all these linebackers. Paul Daner writes that they were in on Nick Kwiatkowski, Blake Martinez, and Joe Schobert. We heard about Joe Schobert, at least at the time. I think there were whispers. Actually, I think Joe heard at the time that they were in on Nick Kwiatkowski and they got outbid or he decided on, on Oakland either way. It's just nice to hear that there was a plan, that they executed a plan, because that's what I personally have been asking for. That was one of the things at the top of my list, is have an idea of how you want to attack free agency and execute the plan. Even if you don't always get everything you want, you have to play in free agency. And the Bengals doing so is a big departure from the way they used to do business. And even the players notice, right? Paul Dander starts the piece by highlighting CJ Uzama, who's like, wait, we did what now? And he's he's getting on Skype or FaceTime or whatever with Gio. And he's talking about it because they're really good friends. If If the players are noticing and the fans are noticing, it seems like a tangible step in the right direction to me. Yeah, it, it, it's it's interesting you mentioned the players because I think that that's such a an important factor here for morale. And morale is a, a thing in the workplace. We can all relate to it, right? We've all we've all had jobs or bosses that we didn't get along with, and what did that do? That hurt morale potentially uh, in the office or in the job that you held. 
And, and I think that that uh, I, I remember listening to Andrew Whitworth about a month ago. I believe he was on with Colin Cowherd and he talked about when he was in Cincinnati, knowing that they could have went for a, a player or two to fill a weakness in free agency, but they just they weren't willing to do it. And that's not how they built their teams. If you're a star player and you don't think your organization is going to go all in to win, but you're busting your ass all offseason to do exactly that, that, that's a tough feeling in the back of your mind, even when you're winning, even when you're going to the playoffs year in and year out. So I, I think it's huge when you talk about establishing a winning culture, showing players not only in your organization, outside of it, the entire league, that the Bengals are about winning and they're willing to spend money in free agency and do what they need to do in the draft to do that. I think it was a, a huge step uh, of showing the rest of the NFL uh, that they are big players and big time. I, I, you know, you don't want to say contenders or anything like that, but they're serious about winning, which is something I, I think a lot of people speculated about and questioned in, in over the past couple of years. And a big part of it is also selling the fans and, and saying, mm -hmm. hey, you know, I, I know what you think of us. We've got a new coaching staff here. We've got Katie Blackburn doing more of the business. We've got Katie Blackburn's daughter doing social media now. You know why Bengal social media is so great? It's because I, I think her name's Elizabeth, is, is running the social media team for the Bengals now. Katie Blackburn and Troy Blackburn's daughter joins the organization in that role. So, I mean, they're doing things in a different way, and, and you're seeing it really across the organization. Another thing moving on in this piece that I thought was really interesting is, is how early the Bengal scouts were hearing about Joe Burrow. Mike Potts, who is another prominent staff uh, scout on the staff for the Bengals, I should say, actually played with Joe Brady at William and Mary. And I thought that was really interesting. So they, he was hearing about Joe Burrow from Joe Brady early in the season in August before the Texas game. And in, and Potts was in, Eugene, Oregon, the weekend the Bengals played Seattle to watch Justin Herbert. And, you know, he's watching the Texas game in his car on his phone at the moment that Burrow steps up and gets hit as he's thrown, hit, hit as he's throwing to seal the game. And then he's kind of immediately, he says, and, and I immediately booked to go see Joe Burrow. And he went to see him uh, the very next week or something like that. And the Bengals were on him before we were, because for me, just like Potts, I was sold on him in the Alabama game. In Alabama, Joe Burrow's taking LSU in there, going punch for punch with that Alabama offense and then winning the game. Uh, Potts was sold the same week I was by the looks of this article. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's really interesting. You look back at what Joe Burrow did, and there's so many different points of last year. He was so great that there could have been so many different areas or, or weeks where you're like, all right, well, he's the guy. Right. Because he was just it was the, that was it. And, and for me, the two injury obviously played a, a factor. But what he did against Bama, obviously. But I remember going into the national title game and Bengals fans are, are probably going to rip me for this. But I remember thinking Clemson's they can win this game. Trevor Lawrence hasn't lost the game as a starter. They're really, really good, too. And I thought Clemson was uh, going to keep it close and potentially win. And Joe Burrow outside of the first, you know, half a quarter. Uh, stuck it out and, and balled out again. So it, it really is interesting, though, to see, uh, get a behind-the-scenes, in-depth look at when the Bengals started to to fall in love, I'll say, with a guy like Joe Burrow, because they knew after the first month of the season that the number one pick was potentially going to be theirs. And so you start to think about what quarterback you're going to take where. And obviously Joe Burrow kept ascending throughout the year. 
in the Bengals stayed in that number one spot and they were able to get their guy. And they did. And we're all just <laughs> so grateful for it, right? Because there was just there's just a little touch of anxiety. Did you did you have any of this? There was a touch of anxiety until like two days before the draft when it was like, okay, yeah, no. They've sent him a letter, they sent him a jersey. We were hearing whispers ahead of time that, that it was the pick, but there was that seed of doubt. Did you have any of that or were you like a hundred percent convicted in your beliefs? I was by then I was one hundred percent. Well by I, then, I, yeah, I, but I, like before like say a week before the draft. A week before still, yeah. I, I okay. think a month prior, though, there were, no, but to your point, there was a time when I was like, man, they had Herbert at the Senior Bowl. They could get three ones and maybe a one <laughs> and a two. And, you, you know, you, you start to think like, well, what if they have a, a high first-round grade on Herbert and maybe it's not as high as Burrow, but, you know, but uh, I, I think when you hear about the combine and, and the interviews, uh, the interview that he had with them and all that stuff, it, it started to to ease my concerns. I never thought Chase Young was in play. I always thought it was a quarterback. Yeah. And obviously Burrow. That's the other thing this article points out is it, it's it, it was always Burrow. You know, there was never a, a close second and uh, or a 1A in this uh, quarterback class uh, given, you know, at least according to the article among the scouts. So I think that's pretty telling. And it's uh, good for the Bengals that they're able to get their guy. Not many coaching staffs. Not many organizations are able to get their guy. And so they, they did that, and it helped them in free agency. So I, I think that's a, a hell of a way to spin it and a way to improve your roster. Yeah. I, I think we can tell people at this point, I, I can tell you that it would have been Herbert if it wasn't Burrow for whatever reason. They they were not going to draft to a tongue of Iloa for reasons that I um, don't think that we're privy to, to tell. But we, we know that they liked Herbert more than Tua. The article goes on to talk about how much they liked Logan Wilson. They they absolutely loved him. How much they loved T. Higgins. We're ecstatic to get both of those guys as they perceive them both as falling beyond their wildest dreams. So the Bengals giddy with this draft, right? And if you do the shadow draft process with us, if you started that with Joe and I or you're going to do it in the future, you know that often you come out of this feeling like, oh, man, I killed it. The Bengals feel just like you did after your shadow draft this year. Coming up next, we've got Louie from Locked On Eagles. We're going to talk about Jalen Hurts because that's what you talk about when you talk about the Eagles right now. So the NFC East Division crossover series continues next. Listeners of the Locked On Bengals podcast, this is your warning. Mother's Day is May 10th. The next Sunday on your calendar, while it's not a Bengals game, I think it's more important It's Mother's Day. So we have a cool book to tell you about. There's a contest going on. You can get her this book as a gift. Take her mind to exotic India where she can sample the food. Laugh at the perils of raising a teenager in 1950s India through a new book of fiction called The Henna Artist. It's in Reese Witherspoon's book club for the month of May. So if your mom's into Reese Witherspoon's recommendations, definitely check it out. Then anytime in May... You or your mom can post a picture on Instagram holding the book or the ebook, put it on Instagram or Facebook, tag the author at the Alka Joshi, T H E A L K A J O S H I, and that will lead to a donation of four meals per post, up to 10,000 meals that will go to Feeding America. So go out, hit up Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Walmart, Costco, or Target whatever bookstore you like, buy the henna artist today and make your mom the ultimate winner 
and your family. Welcome back in, everybody, to another edition of a crossover podcast right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Louis DiBiase here of Lockdown Eagles, alongside the two hosts of the Lockdown Bengals podcast, Jake Lisko and James Rapine. What's going on, guys? First time ever talking with you. The Eagles and Bengals have not played each other since 2016. They're going to face off here in 2020. So with this crossover week that we're doing across the NFL channel, uh, we're going to kick it off right here with a continued version of NFC East and AFC North crossover. Had the pleasure of doing that with Lockdown Ravens yesterday. And uh, these are two teams that they have some links. I mean, of course, your guys head coach is brothers with our quarterbacks coach and passing game coordinator. You guys went with the first overall quarterback in Joe Burrow to hopefully be your version of Carson Wentz. And it's really interesting, actually, to see the Eagles path over the last couple of years and now see Cincinnati maybe being on that same trajectory. So I'm excited to get this going with you guys. We're excited to have a quarterback for the first time. Well, you know what? I can't be that mean to Andy Dalton because there were a few years when I thought he could do the thing. And actually, maybe more recently than you would think, because at the beginning of 2018, when the Bengals came out on fire, Andy Dalton was doing things in Alex Van Pelt's first year in Cincinnati as a quarterback's coach coming from Aaron Rodgers that he had never done in his career. Mm -hmm. He was making plays outside of the structure And that was such a welcome thing. And then everybody got hurt and everything fell apart like a house of cards. But the beginning of 2018 was really exciting. What do you think of really right now? Because I don't know. I mean, it's got to be exciting for you guys to finally get this new era started, right? Because for so long, I don't want to call it redundant, but with Marvin Lewis, with, you know, Carson Palmer and then Andy Dalton, all the first round outs, you guys got to be excited now that kind of have that finally a new regime, a new head coach, a young guy, an offensive mind. And now, you know, Joe Burrow at quarterback, it's got to be exciting to see that finally maybe they're they were done settling for, you know, just making the playoffs and their their sights are set uh, or set for something more. No doubt about it. I I think the fan base is as excited about one player as I've ever seen them. And Mm -hmm. it's it's because there's hope, you know, and I don't think even in 2018, like Jake mentioned, I I was at the Atlanta game. They end up going uh, four and one. Andy Dalton's great, but I I don't think anyone really believed that they were legitimate Super Bowl contenders. And the, the goal obviously is to do that. And, and I think that they believe fans believe in the hell the Bengals organization believes that Joe Burrow can be that guy. So when you, when you have that, even though it might not be this year, I think it gives uh, fans a, a renewed sense of optimism. And you're right. The, the Eagles can, can certainly relate to that. I, I was at that mm-hmm. game in 2016 at Paul Brown stadium. And it, it wasn't like it was uh, the Eagles were expected to be contenders. And suddenly they were very quickly when did you, Louis? when did you think that the Eagles uh, had turned the corner? Uh, you know, was it when they drafted Carson Wentz? Was it midway through his rookie year after they traded Sam Bradford? When was it? So I think the mindset changed because with Chip Kelly, how he talked about this, Howie Roseman, our general manager, when he came back into power, when Chip got fired, he talked about being done with the band-aids, right? The bridge type players and really going for it. And I think that all started with Carson Wentz. I think Carson Wentz is a symbol of Philadelphia 
going for championships now, not just going to try to make the wild card round, get maybe a playoff win. Like Wentz was them going for it, making multiple trade trade ups for him. I think when they actually got there, because in 2016, I remember the Bengals actually gave the Eagles one of their worst losses. Wentz was that was one of his worst games. And Doug Peterson as a as a play caller, that was one of the Eagles worst games over the last four seasons. So their first rookie year, yeah, they started off three and oh, but you could tell there was a lot of work to be done. It really did start like on the field. I thought, okay. This team is legitimate. They're a real NFC power and an NFL power. 2017, when they beat the Carolina Panthers on Thursday Night Football, they were 4-1 and one before that game, but they were beating the likes of the Giants, the Chargers, you know, an older Cardinals team at that point. When they beat Cam Newton and the Panthers on primetime football and Wentz just dominated that football game, that's when, like, on the field I said, okay, they're ready. Like, they had the mindset, and that's when they really took that jump. And, you know, of course, you know, the rest is history. And so with that, I kind of want to ask you guys this question, because the Bengals are kind of now where the Eagles were, I would say, in 2016, right, where you've got your quarterback now in the top two, Joe Burrow. And I, I don't know. I think the Cincinnati Bengals, I mean, your guys' roster, how far away do you guys think they are? I feel like if Joe Burrow can produce like some of these other young quarterbacks have their first year and, you know, there's been that second season leap over the past three years with Carson Wentz, uh, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, maybe it's Kyler Murray this year. I think if Joe Burrow, like it doesn't take as long for teams to rebuild anymore. If you find that quarterback and if they can immediately produce and, and teams, they expect that now from their top rookie quarterback. So do you guys think this team is far away or if Burrow really is that special talent, could they Get to that. I mean, because the Eagles, guys, I thought, I didn't think in year two of the Wentz Peterson era in 2017, they were going to win a Super Bowl. I thought maybe they compete for a wild card spot and they won it all. Well, when did the Eagles make all their big free agency moves? Was it going into Wentz's second year? Yeah, it was in the second year, and they brought in Alshon Jeffrey, you know, Torrey Smith, but they still, they didn't like go all in, I'll say like 2011 with the Dream Team. I mean, oh. they, they had a, still a core intact from the Chip Kelly era that I thought would be good, but. I thought maybe nine and seven, ten and six, not twelve and four in a Super Bowl championship. Weren't there some significant trades, or am I am I just thinking of another team? They during uh, they they traded for Timmy Jernigan uh, right. during that off season. They brought in Ronald Darby, yeah. but again, not like crazy big. It wasn't like signing Namdi Asimov, right, or trading even for Darius Slay this off season. They also no, made but, a trade at the deadline for Jay Ajayi. But they're but they're big moves, regardless, sure. right? But not maybe not like huge moves but they're important role players that really help push the team along so the Bengals this offseason I think are maybe a year ahead of schedule maybe they're looking into the window starting earlier the Bengals certainly believe they're going to win more games this year and when you draft a quarterback who's going to be 24 in his rookie year I think you have to expect that right you have to expect that Joe Burrow coming from the Joe Brady offense is going to be able to hit the ground running a lot of similar concepts are going to already be in the Cincinnati offense, and they'll take some stuff from the LSU spread offense and and probably use a little bit more five wide, which isn't really a staple of the Zach Taylor system, but it's something that we expect to see a little bit more. But they go out and sign DJ Reader, Trey Waynes, which you can debate the merits of the money on Trey Waynes, and I won't really argue with you too much about it, but Mackenzie Alexander, a really solid slot corner. For sure. They make some role player signings down the roster as well. They miss on the top tier linebackers, but then they come back, they draft three. They sign Josh Bynes, who really helped stabilize the Ravens last year. So they make all these major offseason moves. They still got decent veteran core, but they're just old at this point, right? AJ Green, Carlos Dunlap, Geno Atkins, all on the wrong side of 30. So it's, 
are those guys still going to be playing at a high level? Are the young guys going to step up and stay healthy like the John Rosses and, and the Carl Lawsons, the X-Factor kind of guys? And and then if, if things go right, it's easy to see Joe Burrow having a strong rookie year hitting the ground running. But you also have to remember rookies in the NFL generally are not better than veterans. Generally, they're exceptions, sure. but it usually takes time. So I'm looking at a two-year process because I, I just, that's my approach. And as a Bengals fan, I think that's many of our approach. Like we're kind of believe it when we see it types because we've been hurt so much, you know? <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> but I have a couple important questions for you. I know you're probably sick of talking about Jalen Hurts. Uh, so mm-hmm. we can get to Jalen Hurts because people are dying to know what are the yeah. Eagles doing with that second round pick. But before that, Philly is famous, infamous, probably unfairly, for throwing snowballs at Santa Claus. If you could throw snowballs at anybody and it wasn't Santa Claus, who would number two be? Ooh, good question. Uh, right now it would be Howie Roseman for taking Jalen Hurts in the second <laughs> round. <laughs> Um, it, it would probably be anybody that has to do with the Dallas Cowboys. Jerry Jones would be one. That's fun. Wait, I'd love wait, to take, wait, so you're going to throw snowballs at, at our beloved ginger, Andy Dalton. <laughs> well, maybe not Andy Dalton because I actually wanted him as a backup. So we'll give Dalton. He hasn't gotten to Dallas yet, but anybody before that. Um, but, but the Jalen hurts thing, uh, to get into it. So what I think their mindset is, they prioritize quarterback. They value the position so much that even with a, to me, an elite 27-year-old in Carson Wentz, they've seen what the value of a backup can be. You know, when Donovan McNabb went down in the early 2000s, A.J. Feely took them to a 4-1 and record. Jeff Garcia in 2006, they were 5-6. and six. He wins five straight games, also wins a playoff game. Uh, Michael Vick in 2010. Kevin Cobb in 2009 and 2010. And then, of course, Nick Foles in 2013, you know, when Vic goes down, he throws 27 touchdowns and two picks, gets them in the postseason, wins them a Super Bowl in 2017 as a backup, and then in 2018 almost gets them back to the NFC title. So they really value that. For me, though, I look, trust me, I want a, a good backup quarterback. I would have loved your guys' old starting quarterback, Andy Dalton. I think bringing in a veteran like that, that is, while he wasn't great in playoff games, he has four games of playoff experience, I think, with a good supporting cast, which he would have in Philadelphia, he could get the job done. And he wouldn't bring an expectation, a pressure, and a distraction that a 53rd overall pick does, like Jalen Hurts. It has nothing to do with Hurts as a prospect. I'm fine with Jalen Hurts, the player. I think he eventually can develop into a, a pretty good quarterback. He's my kind of style quarterback. Um, but again, to me, there was just so many other good players on the board that can help your team right now that you get for four inexpensive years. Like to me, the only way you take a quarterback in the second round is if your guy's 35 plus years old or he's Mitchell Trubisky, Andy Dalton, that kind of player. Not when you have Carson Wentz, I get having a good backup, but you don't take a guy to me that early. What, what? guy did you want at that spot? Like, was it, was so, there a player that stood out the yeah. most for you? Yes, it was LSU cornerback Christian Fulton. Yeah, um, I also really liked Jeremy Chin. I liked Willie Gay Jr., Joshua Uche. There was a lot of players there for me that, again, quarterback just it was the last thing on my radar. And I, and I know that, again, how he had this outlandish quote about being a quarterback factory. And while I think that's a dumb quote, it's true. They do want to continue to invest in that position. I never thought it would be with that valuable uh, valuable of a pick because they didn't want to move that pick on day one to move up to get CD Lamb. So for me, like instead you didn't want to do that because you wanted his quarterback. It's, it's hard to swallow that logic. Well, but CD Lamb obviously won't have a successful career as a Dallas Cowboy. I do have to tell <laughs> you that you've just made the most compelling case 
for having a good backup quarterback that I've ever heard. I've long been a proponent of, you know what, if your starter goes down, you're hosed. There's there's nothing you can do about it. But, uh, you know, I even, you know, Nick Foles won a Super Bowl. Okay, whatever. Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl once. Anybody can do it if they get lucky. Right, what are the odds of that? That's my thing is I don't like that way of roster building. I think that's a cynical way. First off, I think you're betting against your own quarterback. Even if that's not the message you're sending to Carson Wentz, spending a second round pick on a quarterback is you saying you don't believe he's going to stay healthy. So for me, that's just... What are the odds of Nick Foles doing that again? Jalen Hurts becoming that player. The Eagles have had that happen a lot in the past, but I just I don't think it's a predictable, it's a repeatable strategy. I think again, having a good quarterback is a backup quarterback is very important. You don't want to have Curtis Painter when Peyton Manning goes down. No. But again, a second round pick, it just brings a lot of things that to me are just not worth the negatives. Um and that's that's kind of where I stand that I just don't think he'll I don't think Jalen Hurts unless there's a disaster scenario where Wentz just really gets another serious injury or he suddenly just plummets production wise. You're never he's Hurts is never going to meet that value. What are you going to do? Trade him eventually down the road for are you going to get a 53rd overall pick for him eventually? I don't think so. What did you make of you mentioned C.D. Lamb and mm-hmm. obviously that was a guy that I think most Eagles fans would have been ecstatic if they did uh, trade yeah. up and get him. <laughs> So that doesn't happen. They still go wide receiver. They take Jalen Rager. Uh, what did what did Philadelphia overall make of that? And what was your take on them taking the guy out of uh, TCU? And yeah, so I just want to yeah, jump go ahead. in. I really like JJ Arcega Whiteside last year. So how about those two guys as your young receiving core? Is there belief in building around Rager and Arcega Whiteside? I think Philadelphia. I think the organization has belief in JJ Arcega Whiteside. My co-host, Gino Camilleri, was a big JJ guy coming out of Stanford. I think he'll tell you that there's still hope there. And I think there is. I don't want to say he's done already as a prospect in year two. But the year one tape was absolutely brutal. Of course, he dealt with injuries. But, man, he's such a slow route runner. Just did not look confident at all all in his ability against press coverage. A lot of bad drops. So, with J.J., there's still hope, but for me, I'm glad they went with Jalen Rager. I'm glad they traded for Marquise Goodwin. They brought in John Hightower and Quez Watkins. To me, they need a lot of bodies there. And what they need, why I like the Jalen Rager pick, is they need so badly. Since 2014, they have not been able to replace Deshaun Jackson. Even bringing back Deshaun Jackson last year, it didn't work. He got hurt in week one. But you saw just in that one game how important a burner, a guy that can take a five-yard crosser to the house, can be for this offense. Carson Wentz has never had that. They've tried. They brought in Torrey Smith in 2017, Mike Wallace in 2018. They tried. They brought Deshaun back last year. But it was time for them to bring in a young guy who can be that new Deshaun for Carson Wentz. And that's what I really like about Rager is, compared to a guy like Justin Jefferson, I just think he has so much more upside. And he's the kind of receiver the Eagles need. I think it would have been redundant to take someone like Jefferson, who I think makes his money in very similar ways to Zachary. It's Dallas Goddard, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. Rager is the type of player this team needs with Deshaun. I want multiple guys that have that speed. But also, DJX is 34 years old. After this year, there's no guarantee he's going to be in Philadelphia. And Wentz is good. He thrives with those fast receivers. So to me, I thought the Rager pick was great. And I think he has upside to be more than just a, a burner. I, I think you, you see a guy that's 5'11", that can go up and high point the football like he did. Zero drops in the red zone at TCU, dealing with the awful quarterback play he did. I, I really like the pick, and I think the fans were also happy with it. I really liked uh, Jalen Rager as well. Actually, I'm glad the Bengals got for what they need. I'm glad they went with T. Higgins instead, but it will be interesting to follow the careers of those two guys. Um, yeah. 
the Bengals, though, just looking ahead at this matchup, the Bengals are favored in one game, and that is at home against the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're the least favored or, or the biggest dogs in Philadelphia. This is the, the matchup well, we're talking about between these two teams right now is the most skewed against the Bengals' favor in the entire season. How does that make you feel? Wow. I mean, I, again, I don't... I don't feel like Cincinnati is going to be one of the worst teams in football this year. So I wouldn't overlook them to the point where I think the Eagles are going to blow them out of the water in that game. By the way, going to receiver real quick, how are you guys feeling about that cast? Like, what do you think is going to happen there? There's a lot of bodies there. AJ Green coming back. You've got Tyler Boyd, John Ross, who I really liked coming out of Washington. You got T Higgins now, Auden Tate. You guys got a, a lot of receivers there that I feel like you're kind of in that same tier. How do you think you, how do you think that uh, spot shapes up? It's, it's going to be interesting to see because you're right. They have a lot of guys on paper, but yeah. they're not sure about A.J. Green's health. Obviously, you mentioned John Ross. He hasn't been able to stay on the field. And, and so really, uh, you, you could see those guys go down early on in the year, and then you're relying on Tyler Boyd like you had to do last year, uh, Auden Tate and T. Higgins. So I think that's why they prioritized it in the draft. Also, A.J. Green playing on the franchise tag, potentially if they mm-hmm. can't get an extension done, Ross in the final year of his deal. But if they do stay healthy, I don't know of many rookie quarterbacks, especially drafted number one overall, that walk into a seven-time Pro Bowler, uh, a right. back-to-back 1,000-yard wide receiver, uh, the ninth overall pick in John Ross, who did show some signs last year, and then a, a second-round pick in T. Higgins that I know the Bengals had a first-round grade on. So I, I think they... They feel really good about where they're at from a, a wide receiver room standpoint, but health is a, a huge question mark and the biggest question mark entering the season. Anytime well, that's the f- oh, sorry, go ahead, Jake. Anytime your fifth wide receiver is Auden Tate, go look up Auden Tate highlights from last year. He he's he's a highlight reel. He's fun, and if he's your fifth wide receiver, if those guys stay healthy and he's not elevated to be your second wide receiver, I think you're in pretty good shape. So. I think from a health perspective, like James said, if, if they can stay healthy, they feel really good about the depth. But the health is a question, even for on Tate. Like, even when you mm-hmm. get down to that part of the roster, on Tate ended the season on IR last year. Well, that's the thing. And, yeah, the injuries are a big concern. But, you know, if they keep that core intact this season, that'll be a huge benefit for Joe Burrow, who we saw you know, the talent around him at LSU, what he could do with that. That's something that Carson Wentz didn't really get until his second, third year and really hasn't had it consistently because of injuries, because of age and, you know, regressed play by Nelson Aguilar, Elshon Jeffrey. In 2016, when he started off as a rookie, he was throwing to Josh Huff, Doriel Green Beckham, and a uh, second-year Nelson Aguilar that was nowhere near the kind of player that we saw in their Super Bowl uh, victory the the year later. So that's a huge benefit for Burrow is, yeah, he's coming in and he's got weapons. Wentz did not have that luxury. Philadelphia finally did that um, where they just went all in on that the year later. And I think that was a huge reason the Eagles, I mean, they started off 3-0 and that year, but they just could not sustain, you know, offensive production because – Wentz just the drops were unreal he just he did not get that help so that's one reason I think actually Burrow I mean I think he's primed to have a really good rookie season he's got a lot of help on that offense and again I I like the Taylor brothers I think Zach Taylor I think Press Taylor they're good offensive minds and you know Press obviously the Eagles quarterback coach he became their passing game coordinator this year I think both those guys are you know two of the up-and-coming coaches in the NFL well, I hope that this matchup is more fun to watch 
between the brothers coaching with the young quarterbacks than Vega seems to think it will be. Louie, thanks so much for the conversation, my man. What do you think? Do you think the Bengals, you sound like you think the Bengals are going to cover that 10 points. I'm just going to write you down for that. Bengals cover <laughs> 10. And we'll, my fans we'll probably won't like there. that, but uh, for, for your guys' sake, we'll, we'll write me down for that. <laughs> you, you can edit that out later. This has been <laughs> another edition of the Locked On NFL Channel's crossover edition going across conferences, the NFC East and the AFC North. We'll finish up with the rest of the division later this week. Tomorrow, we will get James's thoughts on the Bengals 2020 draft thoughts because we haven't gotten that yet. James, of course, joins two weeks after the draft. We're going to make him put letters on each pick, and I'm going to make sure he doesn't give straight A's. And then later this week, we're going to have a surprise guest on Wednesday night that we're really excited for. And then Thursday, we've got Paul Dander Jr. I don't know if we'll have time for a mailbag. If we can fit one in, we will. Might have to wait until next week, but until tomorrow, Bengals fans and those draft grades, have a good one.